Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Archives. While our main sermon podcast, uh, Words from the Wildwood, can be found on Sunday mornings, this is more of a retrospective, a looking back at where I have been, where I preached, what I've had the opportunity to do, and the observations I've made along the way. I hope that you can look back with me at many of these sermons that have come. Some may sound a little dated, but you might be impressed to hear things that were going on then that are still going on today. I hope you enjoy this offering from the archives. Uh, Tonight you may hear a clicking sound. That's just the cough drop that is keeping my throat open. I don't know how long my voice will last, so we better jump into this thing while we still can. Tonight, I want to talk about God's promises. Everybody loves to talk about the promises of God. The promises that the Lord makes to His people. Well, here's the thing. There is a secret, aha, a secret, to gaining all that God has for His people. I know what you're thinking. Ooh, we're going to get into mysterious things and prayer languages and how often you do things and ooh secret words and passages in the Bible. Actually obtaining God's promises is so simple you won't even believe it. Deuteronomy 7 12 through 15 is where we start tonight. Deuteronomy 7 12 through 15. The first step in gaining the promises of God is this. See the prize. Before you can claim the promises of God, before you can lay hold of them, you have to know what they are and what they are not. A lot of people look at a passage in the Bible without bothering to look at when it was written, to whom it was written, how it was written, why it was written. They say, "Ah, I'm going to claim that promise. Not all promises made in the word of God or for you. Not all are for me. There are some that apply to all of us. That's what I want to look at tonight. Deuteronomy 7, 12 through 15. We must see and understand what the prize of God's promises are. Here it is. Deuteronomy 7, 12. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, Yahweh your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And Yahweh will take away from you all sicknesses and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all those who hate you. Now God blesses to understanding. This can be easily mistaken. It can be easily manipulated. It can be easily used to both hurt some and build others up. Let's remember where we are. People of Israel have come out of captivity. They were in captivity for a long time, 400 years. Now they are free. Got to the borders of the promised land. Their fathers did not believe the word of God, did not believe in the promises, so they went back in the wilderness for 40 years, and out there they all died. Only those too young to have committed that crime against God were allowed to go in the land other than those who were faithful to God. And that's Caleb and Joshua. Now here it is. Look at the very first one. Deuteronomy 7.12 And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, now your version, your translation might be a little bit different. But this is actually the impetus. This is the feeling. This is the assumption. The assumption is, now that you have heard the word of God, now that you have experienced the goodness of God, now you're, of course, going to obey God, right? This is assuming the best of us. This is assuming the best of the people of Israel. And because you've listened, you've heard with intelligence, you've heard with understanding all these rules, all these regulations, then, because you're going to do them, 
Yahweh your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. What did he promise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That their descendants would inherit the land of Canaan, right? That was the promise. So God is going to keep that promise because they are going to keep all the words that God has given them. Remember, a lot of times God says, if you keep my word, then I will do all the following. Take a look at it. Verse 13, he will love you because you are his chosen people. He has set his love upon you, not because you did anything, but because he has chosen to love you. You are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the children of promise. He has set his love upon you, just as I have set my love upon my daughter. There is nothing I could do to not love my daughter, no matter what she does. If she turns out to be a homicidal lunatic, if she rolls up doing whatever, I am never going to turn against my child because my child is my child. Amen? Amen. Okay. Wait a minute, I didn't hear this side over here. Amen? Your child is your child no matter what. And these are still God's people. He has suffered with them for 400 years. He's not going to abandon them. So I will love you. I will bless you. I will multiply you. Here's that promise to Abraham again. Your descendants will be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. That's a lot of people. And he says this too. I will bless the fruit of your womb. That's the same thing as multiplying them. You will have these offspring. Your husbands and wives will come together and they will have lots of children to fill out this land. Don't forget, Canaan is a huge, huge place. Remember? They're going to dispossess seven nations which are larger than them. That's a lot of people, amen? Now, if you've got one nation that is this size, and all the other nations are seven times larger, how are you going to fill out all that land? you got to do some begatting. you got to do a lot of begatting if you're going to fill out that land, right? And God says, as you begat, you will fill out the land. You will have everything that you need. I'll bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground. Remember? A land flowing with milk and with honey. And he says this, I will bless your grains and your wines, your oils, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock, in the land that God has sworn to your fathers to give you. Now, what is the promise of God? Let me break it down this way. One is children or heritage. Have you ever wondered what you leave behind when you die? Everybody here is going to die. We're all going to come and walk that veil with the Lord if he doesn't come back in about five minutes. If he comes back in five minutes, we're all pretty good. We'll get out of here alive tonight. We don't have to worry about it ever again. But if the Lord delays another 10 years or 20 years or 50 years, most of us will be gone. A few of us will still be left around. The hardy few will be left after 50 years. But most of us will be singing with the angels. Amen? If you know Jesus. Okay, this is a heritage. This is a remembrance. Remember, for the ancient Near East, children were a legacy left not just to a family name but left to a people you see within a church we raise up the next generation the greatest blessing God can pour out on a church is all those souls coming to Christ it's also the children that we raise up raising them not just to be uh, hard-working intelligent well-educated uh, monetarily producing children any any fool can do that but you've got to raise those children to love the Lord to seek the Lord, to follow the Lord, to honor the Lord. And the only way they're going to learn that is if what? We do it first. They never do what we say. They always do what we do. So if your children come out just like you, don't blame nobody. You done it. Because children do come out like their parents. Even if they look a little different or they choose a little different course of action in life, you wind up looking like your parents in your attitudes, your actions, and the way that you behave by and large. So ask yourself this, am I proud of how I behave today? I have to model for that child right there what a godly man looks like, what a Christian man looks like, and what a pastor looks like. Because she's going to expect her husband to measure up to my standard. 
You ain't gonna do it. You're gonna get burned. No way. It's tough when you're as good as me. No, just kidding. First thing you promise a heritage, a legacy, something that remains behind. One of the things that people weep about is that all they leave in this world is money that somebody else steals, a house that somebody else burns down, a car that somebody else wrecks, money that somebody else spends. But if you leave behind you a legacy of faith, that's in your own children or your grandchildren, in children that you raised through Sunday school, in children that you encounter in this church that you bless. You may never have had a natural offspring in your whole life. That doesn't matter. Who have you raised up in your wake? Who are the people that you have touched around you? Who are the other adults? Who are the other people that you have led to faith in Christ? That you have nurtured? That you have built up? That is your heritage. That's your legacy. That's what he's promising them. When you go in this land, this land will always be yours because those who come after you will inherit it, will keep it, will live in it. Second thing he promises, he promises them a land. In the land that the Lord your God's going to give you. This is a place where they belong. You ever felt like you don't belong somewhere? When I lived in Taiwan, I belonged in my apartment. In my apartment was my bedroom. In my bedroom was the American flag hanging up over the bed. That's my wife. That little bitty flag hung there for six years. I may have been in the Republic of China or Taiwan, but baby, in my bedroom, it was American soil. <laughs> That's where I belong. You know what I mean? It's, it's silly to say that, but every single person who's left this country, lived abroad, you know what I'm talking about. When you have that place, that is home. These people have been slaves for 400 years. They didn't belong anywhere. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a place that was theirs. All they knew was that they were kept, they lived, they worked, and they died. Now here's the thing. They got out of there and God brought them to a home. And they said, Lord, the house ain't nice enough. You didn't clean it up first. I'm going to go back out here in the desert and die like a dog. And they did. They died in the desert. Never having received the home that God made for them. But these children right here who were born in captivity, but who had seen God on the mountain, had seen the provision of God, now were standing at the very gates of their home. This would forever be their land. Even, even Saudi Arabia has this custom. When a man has put his feet upon a land, that's his land and no one can take it away. Saudi law protects the homestead of a man and his family. That's why they won't recognize that the Jews were there. Because if they recognize the Jews were there first, who they got to give it back to? The rifle, the rifle owners, right? So here's the deal. This was huge for the Jews. For the first time in 440 years, they would have a home that nobody could take away. Nobody could kick them out. Nobody could say, oh, you got to move here. You got to move there. You got to press on down the road. You know, the U.S. Army and all their infinite wisdom took my people from where they belonged and kept shifting them west and stuck them in Oklahoma. You ever been to Oklahoma? That was not a nice thing y'all done to us. But say we forgive everything. Anyways, this was a home, a permanent home forever and ever. That is crucial to people who have no home. You know, if you were born in America, you were born here, you've lived here your whole life, but you don't feel like you belong anywhere. See, Paul says, I'm a stranger and alien, even though I live in my own country, because my citizenship is in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my home. This is just passing through. You know, Bud Earp is so right. He said, Bud, how you doing? Just passing through. Bud's got it. I am just passing through. This is a temporary way station. I'm on my way home and I'll get there when I cross through the veil. Amen. So dying ain't a bad thing for a believer. It's going home finally to the place from which you'll never be dispossessed again. This earthly body falls apart. It breaks down like an old house. And ultimately you got to leave it behind. Praise God. But when I get home, I'm home forever. Amen. That's what it's about right there. Now he goes on. Last thing he gives them. 
abundant provision forever. All of us want to leave for our children something that will carry them through. You know, we want to leave some money in the bank. We want to leave them a house. We want to leave them, you know, whatever it is that, that we have that, that they can hang on to. A coin collection, uh, you know, a car collection, stamp collection. Something that's going to provide for their future, right? Best thing you can leave your children is Jesus Christ. Amen. Strong faith in Jesus Christ. Because you know what? Long after they're done blowing your money, sold your coin collection, sold all them cars you give them, long after all that's gone, their faith in Christ will sustain them. And what he said is, so long as you live in this land and you obey my laws and you are my people and I'm your God, you will never lack any good thing that you need. That's the promises of God. We will have a heritage long after us. Paul often saw the people that he touched in his ministry. He saw them as his legacy to the kingdom because he had had a, had had a hand in touching them and raising them up and, and sending them forth. And the land that he was in, he wasn't so hot on, on, on Israel anymore or anywhere else in, in, in the Roman world. He was going home to heaven one day. That's the land he was trying to get back to. Just as I waited six years to come back home after going to Taiwan, I'm still waiting to get home. One day I'll get there. No hurry right now, it's okay. Anyways, and that abundant provision? <laughs> Nothing I need in this life, my Father has not already given me. And that, that, no, that's not everything I want. It's everything I need to be faithful to Him and to serve Him. So that's the first part. Let's press on a little bit. Because there's two more verses in that section. Verse 14. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. Now for them, the Israelites would experience this abundant birthing process. Just as, you know, uh, Jacob, when he had all them cows and they kept popping out the cows he needed to take with them, right? Just the right kind popped out. God was going to bless Israel to grow seven times larger and possess all the land they had taken away from seven mighty nations. Seven nations bigger than them. They had to multiply times seven to fill that land up and they did a good job of it. Took them a while to get there, but they did all the, all the begatting they could do. Next one here, verse 15. And Yahweh will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt. What's he talking about? What did they see? They saw the plagues that God descended on Egypt for their idolatry and their worship of foreign gods. Everything from the water being polluted to the land being overrun with frogs and mice and all that other nasty stuff that happened. So he saw everything that God did to Egypt to make them let go of the people right down to the death of the firstborn. Here, their firstborn is going to be protected because God's going to protect that offspring. Now this says, nothing that happened to them is going to happen to you. But all the way go back, go back to where it started. What did he say? Because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, then the Lord your God is going to keep this covenant and everything else is what you're going to get. It goes back to that. When you are faithful, when you are walking with the Lord, when you are walking in obedience. Now we don't have the Ten Commandments binding us up anymore. They've told us about our sin. Jesus Christ has come to solve that. But when we are walking faithful to the Word of God, walking faithful to what Christ asks us to do, walking faithful to the Christian life, all these things fall into place. Remember? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or how you're going to provide food for your family. God always given to his people what they need. You worry about my kingdom first. Put my kingdom first. Put my, my holiness first and then everything else will fall into place. That's what he said to them. The Lord will take away from me every sickness. You know, I might be physically sick right now, but spiritually I'm doing pretty good today. Amen? And I just love how God does that. But let's press on a little bit. Okay, you got to see the prize, right? Deuteronomy 7, 21 through 24 says this. You got to go the distance. Now, a lot of people, when it comes to running in a race, are great 
for about the first 10 seconds. Man, for 10 seconds, you look like a sprinter. Olympic athlete, you can come screaming out of them gates. You look wonderful. By 10 seconds in, <laughs> you start falling over because you never run before, you know. It's terrible. We're all great at the beginning. But endurance is the benefit of being an athlete. And an athlete is one who trains every day to what? To endure, to persevere, to keep going when you're in pain, to keep going when it hurts, and keep going when you're tired. You have to go the distance. Look at what it says. Deuteronomy 7, 21. You shall not be in dread of them for the Lord your God, for Yahweh your God is in your midst, a great and an awesome God. Then Yahweh your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. Now understand this. He will clear them away little by little. You may not make an end of them all at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But Yahweh your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. Remember, it was promised that the people of Israel would never perish. But it says, you will make them to perish. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them utterly. Utterly. I love this. Look at it real quick. Verse 21 says this, You shall not be in dread of them, for Yahweh your God is in your midst a great and an awesome God. Does anyone know what the word dread means? We think of dread as fear, right? We think of dread as being fear. But it's not just fear. This word dread, if you look it up, means one who is harassed and oppressed even by the thought of the enemy. Is there anything which frightens you so much that you are in dread of it? Does sharing your testimony put you in dread? Are you fearful or harassed or oppressed by the thought of giving your testimony? How about sharing your faith with someone at work? Not just your testimony, but sharing what it means to be a Christian. How you get saved. I had a young man email me and give me a situation in his family. And he said, how do I deal with this situation? And I don't want to disclose the details. Y'all might know who it is. But I'm going to meet with him later on and we're going to talk about how we can approach this because he is in dread. He dreads talking to his family because he is afraid that he is lacking, that he doesn't have enough, enough wisdom, enough knowledge, that he's not articulate enough. You don't have to be smart or articulate. You just have to know who Jesus is and be able to say, this is why I believe. You won't be in dread of the people in that land because Yahweh your God is in your midst. Just like when the Ark of the Covenant with them, could Israel ever be defeated? No. Even when the Philistines took away the Ark of the Covenant, what happened? The dread of the Lord fell upon the Philistines. They had to give that thing back because he was wiping them out single-handedly. That's how God is. Even the name, the knowledge of God puts our enemies in fear because they know that they don't have to fear us, but they do have to fear the God that we serve. Amen? That's what it means. Don't be in fear. Don't be harassed or oppressed by even the thought of anything the world can throw at you. There's no question. There's no situation. There's no physical oppression, no, no legal oppression that they can throw at us that we have to be afraid of because our God will always be with us. He will always stand by us, even if he stands by us as we die. Remember, over 300,000 Christians a year are murdered throughout the earth because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It hasn't come to America yet, but it will. And when it does, we'll see the medal of the people who call upon the name of the Lord. We'll find out who's a believer and who's not when that day comes. Oh, but go on with it. Look at verse 22. Yahweh your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. Did you ever notice that? Did you ever notice in this passage it says little by little? Now, you think, well, God could just walk in there and breathe on them and wipe out seven nations. Yes, he could. 
but there were not enough people in Israel to maintain the land of those seven nations. He says it right here. You may not make an end of them at once. You will not make an end of them all at once because lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. Because while they could inhabit one land, the animals could multiply and take over the other six. And then they would have more trouble overcoming the animals than the people who lived in the land. You ever wonder why God seems to deliver you piece by piece from your past? You ever wonder why it is that God helps you overcome one thing at a time? Now, if you're an addict, you don't, you don't just decide one day that you're never going to drink again, or you're never going to smoke again, or you're never going to do whatever it is you used to do. What do you do? I need to get through this five minutes. This 10 minutes, this hour. If I get past this hour, I know I can do it. Then it's this day, then it's this week, this month, this year. And before you know it, 10 years sober, 15 years sober. And you keep going on. But you do it 5 minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time. They had to be faithful to take on what God gave them as God gave it to them. Now here's the thing. We can see the prize of everything God has for us. But you know what? That final prize is after you dead. It's a long way off for some of y'all. Closer for some of us. <laughs> a little closer. But here's the thing. Are you going to be faithful every single day to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that you never get the whole nine yards until you're dead? Can you day by day, little by little, lay hold of the kingdom of God, lay hold of these promises, lay hold of all that God has for you? That's strength, that's wisdom, insight, knowledge, because you have to do it little by little. The promised land was one, one city at a time. Any of you guys that were ever in war know that you don't just don't go in and win in one day. You win at village by village, rice paddy by rice paddy, field by field, mountaintop by mountaintop, and sometimes you lose the mountaintop and you gotta take it back again. That's how wars are won. That's how, the, that's how the promised land was won. Inch by inch, yard by yard, field by field, they were going to have to win it. But as they won it, what did they do? They fully occupied what was theirs. They subjugated that piece of land. Then they pressed on. Look at any history of warfare throughout the history of the world. An empire which overextends itself loses everything it gains. Anytime you outstrip your resources, you're done. Rommel in Africa got so stinking far ahead of his supply troops and supply lines. When the RAF cut him in half, tanks don't go without petroleum, dude. Without gas, they don't go nowhere. Here's the thing, you get so far ahead of God that you start not praying, not going to services, not seeking Him, not meditating on the Word. What's going to happen? You're going to run out of gas. You're going to be stranded in enemy territory. And it's going to be heck to pay until you get back to where your lines are and then stay up with what God is doing in your life. Never get ahead of the Holy Spirit. Never get ahead of where God is in your life. If you do that, you're going to be in trouble. And some people get impatient. You try and take too much at one time. Or some pastor tells you, if you just pray in the name of somebody this many times or run this many rosaries or you know, you put this much in the poor box, it's all going to happen. No, it ain't. Little by little, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. God's not going to grow you any faster than he can grow you. He's not going to give you any more than you can handle at that moment. You've got to handle the one talent before you get the five, before you get the ten, before you get the fifty. You know what I mean? So are you working on the piece of ground that God has given you? Are you bringing under control? That's your life, your thoughts, your free time, what you're reading, what you're watching on TV, what you're listening to. Are you taking control of that and making sure that that whole area that you have is fully beat down under the control of the Holy Spirit before you try to go on? Because if you don't take care of the home turf, you've got no, you've got no base operations to go forward. You can't go on from where you are. And that's the problem. Look at verse 24. 
and he will give their kings into your hands and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them completely. How have you destroyed every stronghold of Satan in your life? I'll tell you how. Verse 23. Yahweh your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. When Satan gets a stronghold in your life, whether that is envy, jealousy, wrath, uh, anger, frustration, critical spirit, bitter root. Y'all, bitter roots are the thing that will tear up any kind of field. If you ever had a garden, my mom and dad always had a big garden in the backyard. You let something get started in there that shouldn't be in there. I'm, I'm sorry, rhubarb is a wonderful thing until it gets loose. And you can't stop that stuff. It is everywhere. It takes over the whole backside of the yard. It's ridiculous. We had a house in Montana. That stupid stuff had one little bulb. It took over the whole side of the yard. It was huge. Now, rhubarb is a nice thing, but not when it's that much. Here's the thing. It can get ahead of you until you get your handle on and get rid of it. Anything, any bitterness, any, any jealousy, strife, envy that gets in there, if you don't exterminate that stuff, you don't put Roundup on it and round it up in the Holy Spirit, it's going to keep coming back and growing back up and choke out the joy of the Lord. You got to knock it down before you move on. Just like any, any battle. If you go up to the enemy line and, hey, look, there's a well-defended fort right there. Let's just go around it and leave them intact. Do you ever want the enemy at your back as well as at your front? No. Because when there's two of them and one of you, who loses? You. You have to take out the strongholds in your life as you see them. As God reveals them, take them out. And little by little, you will gain that victory in your life that you need. You have to be willing to get in there and go the distance. You can't just go halfway and stop. If you, if you leave that rhubarb in the yard, it'll take over, I promise you. Finish it up. Deuteronomy 7, 25 and 26. So, we've seen the prize. We know what God promises us, right? He promises us a, a legacy that's going to go on long after us. All the provision that we need and a place where we belong. So God promises us. Now, to do that, we have to be willing to go the distance, do the hard work, Take the land little bit by little bit, subjugating it to Christ. Finally, you got to purify your home. If you want to start by taking over the whole world, you know, if you want to do the whole Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth thing, it's assumed that you've already cleaned out your own house. Now, y'all know the tradition of, of the unleavened bread, right? Whenever it comes time for the celebration, they got to go through the whole house and get rid of even the smallest speck of leaven, and they scoop it up and they get rid of it so that the house is purified for the service, right? That's what happens. Same thing here. Listen to what it says. Deuteronomy 7, 25 and 26. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves. You can't even strip the gold off the idols and burn the idol because the gold is the idol. Lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to Yahweh your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it. It is devoted to destruction. That's what he says. So, how do we purify our houses? Take a look at it. Verse 25. It talks about the carved images of their gods. Now, we all know that when they got ready to take uh, Jericho, you know, God says, don't touch nothing. Don't touch anything in the whole city. But of course, Achan grabs his little bit of this and takes it with them and hides it and everything else. And it, it, it costs them the battle of Ai. They lose the first battle of Ai because they're sinning the camp. 
Here's the thing. You ever wonder what's happening in your house? Make sure there's no sin in the camp. Make sure you haven't snuck in some idol, something that you love that's not of the Lord. Sometimes mama does it. Sometimes daddy does it. Sometimes the children bring stuff into the house. Told y'all the story of our last church. We had a demonic possession going on in the church until we started praying and the thing got up and walked out of the church. I mean, I've never seen that in my life and I never want to see it again. Just not something I want to go through again. We did not know for years that one of our children, one of our youth, had brought that demon into the church. He was practicing witchcraft, and he had summoned the demon, and the demon requested to be brought into church, and he brought it in and left it there. And we had trouble for months and months because of that thing's presence until we prayed and discerned it and drove it out of the church. Now here's the thing. If a 13 or 14-year-old kid can summon up a demon from the depths of hell, bring it into a church, what can adults do who have that bitter root or that jealous spirit or that envious spirit, what can they do to destroy a church? I mean, it's 2011, y'all. We're ready for a new year, a wonderful year, a fantastic year, right? We have a new pastor, and he's going to come in, and he's going to bring a new vision, and he's going to do that. So what we want to do is make sure, that one, that we ain't bringing all that junk from last year with us. We don't want to drag all that stuff along. This is all those carved images of your gods. You should burn them with fire. Don't covet them, not even the gold and silver on them. And don't take it for yourselves and try and hang on to those little things from last year or years gone by. He says, don't do that. Now, if you think about this, Psalm 9, 15 through 17, it says this. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. All these nations that don't worship God have created the means of their own destruction. They have sunk into the pit they have made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. So they laid a trap for the people of God to suck us into their idolatry. Yet they got caught in their own idolatrous trap. Yahweh has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Now there's two words here in Hebrew that follow this verse. And it precedes the next verse. One is Higayan. Higayan means meditate on this. So he said, the nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. Yahweh has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Now meditate on what this means. Then there's the word silah. Silah is not actually a word, it's an instruction. It means remain silent. So meditate on this and be silent. When you consider that the nations are destroying themselves. God is not destroying them. God is not damning them. They are destroying themselves because they would set a trap for God's people. And it don't work because they get caught in their own trap. Then he finishes up. The wicked shall return to Sheol all the nations that forget God. That's what happens. That's why he says, don't bring in those gods from those foreign countries. Why do you want to be like them? Why do you want to be caught in their trap? Why do you want to go to the destruction that they have made for themselves by hanging on to their gods? We talked about that last week. The gods of false wisdom, false knowledge, false religion, false ethical standard. All that stuff that doesn't make any sense. Now look at this one. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction. Doesn't like it. That thing is bound for destruction. Why are you hanging on to it? That's all that negativity. That's all those bitter roots and jealousy and envy and strife and all the other selfish things that drive people in the religious world. Don't, don't bring that into your house. Don't expose your wife and your children to that stuff. I mean, a lot of times, the troubles that we have as adults, especially as adult men, I'm sorry to say, 
a lot of our trouble is because our fathers were mental. They were not godly. They did not seek Christ. They sought themselves, their own glory, their own strength, their own power. They sought money, position, a house, a new car. They sought all the wrong things and they taught us to be just like them. May God have mercy on them as he's had mercy on us. That's the truth, guys, because they did not teach us to be men of God. They taught us to be men of this world, and we learned the lesson really too well. You shall utterly detest and abhor all those things of the world that would turn your attention away from God. I give you this warning. Ezekiel 7, 9. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are in your midst. God's going to catch you in the middle of your sin, and that's when he'll bring judgment. He's warning you, I am not going to be patient forever. I am going to catch you with your pants down, as it were, and your, your mind. I've got you. Then you will know that I am Yahweh Nakao. I am the God who strikes, who punishes, who kills. That's the name of God that's in no list anywhere. This is not in anybody's list of God's names. Yahweh Nakao. The God who strikes, smites, punishes, or lays stripes to the back. Now remember, why does God punish his people? To get their attention. Why does he want to get their attention? Because if he doesn't, they're going to destroy themselves just like the world. Why did he keep trying to get Israel's attention with the Philistines and with the Assyrians and all the other people that came against it with Nebuchadnezzar, with the Romans? Why did he keep throwing things at his own people? Because they weren't listening. They were embracing the gods of the world, the gods of the pagan societies. They were turning their back on a holy God. And he said, if you turn your back on me, if you worship other gods, I will kick you out of the land of your possession and you won't be a nation anymore. You will be slaves. You will be scattered to the four winds. It is called the diaspora, the scattering of God's people. And they were scattered for 2,000 years until the signing of an American president created the state of Israel one more time and brought back God's people so they could begin to gather again until that last day when the church is removed and then God's attention, his 144,000 witnesses, will testify to Israel, your Messiah has already come and you missed it. That's the love of God. In the last days, he will not forsake his people. He won't do it. He won't leave them alone. Here it is. So now you need to lay hold of the prize, guys. It's 2011. If you do nothing else this year, you need to lay hold of the prize that God has for his people. Here it is. One, know what God has promised and what he has not promised. He has not promised you material success. He has not promised you wealth in excess. He has not promised you every desire of your heart. He's promised to give you a legacy. He's promised to give you a place where you belong in his kingdom, with his people, with our Savior. And he has promised to give you what you need to get the job done. Nothing else has he promised you. Except what Jesus said. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they kill me, they're going to take you next. That's a great promise from God. It means I get to live the life that Christ lived. I get to suffer for him and die with him because that's what he did for me. Right? I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. That's the words we sang, and that's what this means. Second, this. It takes time to reach the fulfillment of the promise of God. Don't give up. You might say, you know what? I'm already 65, and I'm just now beginning to discover that everything I've struggled for my whole life was a lie. Well, praise God you're awake. Praise God you finally figured out that the whole thing was a lie from the beginning to now. And what you know is this. If the Word of God says that you are meant to have a spiritual inheritance, spiritual legacy, Start making it. 
Start sharing your faith. Start passing along what God is doing. You need to sow the seeds in the people around you that one day as you step into heaven and glory, there will be a person there that says, I am in the kingdom of God because you told me about Jesus. I am in heaven because you taught my Sunday school class. I am in heaven because you told me how to get saved. And I'm in heaven because you showed me Jesus. That's the inheritance you want. That's the spiritual offspring you want. What we sow on this earth will be amazing. Because God said we have a land that we belong in. Even if our own country turns against us someday, we have a land we belong in. Paul said we are, we are strangers and aliens. We are sojourners in this world. Let's not make this our home. Let's make this our work field. And when we die, we get to go on home to our eternal inheritance, which can never be taken from us. You know what I mean? That's what we have. Look at the last one. Victory begins at home. So purify your heart, your mind, and let it move outward. Once you got this cleaned up, once you found the bitter root, the root of jealousy, envy, strife, little poison thing of, of, of envy, you know, once we get all that out of there, we purify this vessel, let's spread that out to our wives or husbands. Let's spread that out to our children. Let's begin to do now everything we can to advance the kingdom of God in our home and then in our small group and then in our church and then everywhere else that we can touch, our jobs, our circle of friends, wherever that takes you, you begin to take that land for Jesus Christ and you take it little by little, piece by piece. You conquer it, you beat it down, you rip out the rhubarb and you press on, all right? Hey, thank you for visiting our podcast today. Both Words from the Wildwood and From the Archives are presented to you by our family as an offering to Almighty God in the hope that they will help you grow in your understanding of God's amazing Word. If what you hear has been a blessing, consider supporting our efforts by sending us your prayers and by letting others know where they can hear us on local podcasts. If you are in the U.S. and you are able to help in any way, shape, or form, please send any support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas 77522. If you are outside the States, God bless you and share Jesus with those that you can. God bless and we'll be back soon.